You're listening to a podcast by the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, where we're answering your questions like, how is China achieving carbon neutrality? And how can the United States and China cooperate to protect our climate with top climate experts? We hope you enjoy. The first segment of this podcast is an interview with Ma Juan, founding director of the Institute of Public and Environmental Affairs conducted by David Sandalow. Hi, my name is David Sandalow, and I am at Columbia University at the Center on Global Energy Policy and a member of the Board of Directors here at the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. And I am so thrilled to be here with Majun, who is the founder and president of the Institute for Public and Environmental Affairs in Beijing and a global leader on clean energy. Uh, Majun's work has been visionary and remarkable in helping improve air quality in China, water quality in China soil quality in China. And he's used transparency, transparency uh, as a key tool for improving environmental quality. Majun is here in New York with us. Majun, welcome. Thank you, David. Uh, let me just start to ask um, uh, about the latest developments in your work. Um, it's so great to see you after, after three years, more years of um, not being together. What, what's happening in Beijing? What's happening in China with your work? Yeah, now, uh... Finally, I think uh, the uh, uh, we're we're in the post-COVID era, and uh, everything's trying to be back to normal. And uh, we again have uh, have the uh, all this uh, from government agencies to business to the, to the citizens try to focus more on the recovery side. And uh, of course, to us, you know, we uh, that uh, uh, kept us pretty busy because we need to make sure that uh, through this. Uh, massive economic recovery program uh, we can still manage to keep the momentum to improve our air and water quality and in the meantime uh, try to uh, try to try to speed up the uh, climate mitigation program uh, it was not it was not easy uh, but uh, 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 but the new uh, new challenge you know, um, facing the new challenge, we have uh, launched a, uh, you know, we, we, over the past, uh, 17 years, uh, try to use our, uh, Blue Map database, uh, as a tool, you know, Blue Map app as a tool to engage with stakeholders and to mobilize, uh, more, uh, extensive participation and tap into the power of the market. And uh, we're very happy. Sorry to break in, but just tell us what what uh, what is the Blue Map app for those who aren't familiar with it? It's it's such a powerful tool. Sure. Uh, when we got started uh, more than seventeen years ago, uh, we're facing a uh, massive pollution challenge. Uh, you know, from the air to the water to the coastal sea soil, and uh, I trust that we need extensive participation and. Uh, and, and the precondition for that is access to information. So with that in mind, we started to build the prototype of the so-called Blue Map database to compile the environmental quality data, the discharge data, and also the uh, the, the performance uh, records of all these uh, uh, corporations. And, uh, uh, and 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 over the past more than ten years of time, we managed to work together with our partners uh, to motivate uh, more transparency and uh, we're happy to see some uh, expansion of, uh, of transparency and uh, today we're uh, we're able to track the 
the performance of uh, of some millions of corporations and color code them based mm -hmm. on their performance and dot them on the digital map and um, uh, tapping into the uh, the development of mobile internet, we launched the Blue Map uh, app, and uh, so uh, bring that on, brought that on the cell phone, so people can uh, easily not just access the information, but visualize and better understand this information, and use that as a as a, as, a, as a platform to report the polluted uh, uh, rivers and to report those who uh, corporations who violate the standards and uh, that is the blue map. Um, and uh, what have you found from this? Are you seeing environmental quality improving, um, going backwards? What are the trends that you're seeing? Yeah, uh, the, uh, the trends is, uh, is, uh, is moving toward a kind of a more improvement. Uh, you know, when we got started 2006, that was, uh, you know, hindsight, almost like a, a, a kind of a real uh, low point of our water quality, you know, 28% of the monitored sections of our rivers and lakes uh, reported uh, worse than category five water quality. Basically, it's good for no use. The worst mm. is category five, it is worse than that. Mm. So um, hundreds of millions, 300 million people were exposed to this uh, pollution hazards, uh, you know, the water pollution hazards, and then hundreds of millions exposed to air pollution uh, problem uh, as well. Um, but now through all these years, uh, uh, we have managed to see an improvement. Uh, you know, Beijing uh, and the surrounding regions started uh, uh, monitoring and reporting uh, air quality from 2013. Uh, that was, uh, you know, on the PM 2.5 level. That year, the annual average was 89.5 uh, micrograms. Um, and last year, it dropped to 30. Cool. So cut by nearly two thirds. Uh -huh. and, uh, and on the water side, the worst than category five, um, proportion on the national uh, national level monitoring have dropped to about one percent on twenty eight. So that was that's uh, striking progress. Yeah, that's... some striking programs. Thousands of rivers running black, and some thousands of those uh, canals and streams running black have been uh, more or less cleaned up. You know, with massive, uh, of course, investment on infrastructure like sewage plant. But also the uh, you know the uh, corporations uh, eventually you know uh, in better compliance of the emission standards mm -hmm. uh, due to the of course uh, the, uh, the the enforcement uh, and public uh, uh, and public reporting supervision. In, in many places, the air pollution problems and water pollution problems are are hard, but. But because you can smell the air when it's dirty, because you can see dirty air, in some ways it's easier than the invisible greenhouse gases um, that, that are heating up the planet. Um, what, what are the latest trends in China in terms of the global warming problem and climate change? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, global warming is, uh, uh, is looming larger, you know, globally and also in China. You know, last year I, uh, I still remember uh, it was uh, summertime when I, uh, you know, uh, 
took a trip uh, to the uh, to the Jiangxi province, and uh, uh, I got the chance to to have this bird's eye view of uh, of our largest freshwater lake, uh, the Poyang Lake. During the monsoon season, it was uh, diminished to a meandering stream. Mm. Very, very the the lowest uh, point uh, since we ever have uh, uh, more accurate meteorological uh, uh, records. Uh, so during the summertime, you know, the we we suffered from the uh, extreme heat wave uh, last year, and then. Uh, for for about two months of uh, of, of time, not much drops of uh, precipitation of rainfall at all during the monsoon season. So, um, so we suffered from that and uh, from climate change as well. Um, and um, of course, China started. The China took this uh, as a uh, something uh, a strategic issue, and um, uh, with. Uh, 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 President Xi, you know, made this um, in some way unexpected commitment uh, to carbon peak and neutrality. You know, by 2060, China going to neutralize uh, the its carbon emission, and uh, uh, in the year 2020, and um, uh, and that caught many by surprise, um, uh, and. Uh, and, and it was it won't be easy because at this moment uh, our emission is uh, uh, as you know you you're the authority on that you know our emission is uh, uh, is more than ten billion tons of carbon dioxide is over ten billion tons and uh, um, and uh, roughly a third of the global total and uh, by far the largest uh, when it comes to the current level of uh, Greenhouse gas emission, and um, uh, and we try to we're gonna artificially you know try to pick that because unlike the Western countries uh, which um, more or less naturally picked their carbon emission, uh, we need to uh, create policy mechanism to try to uh, pick our emission uh, earlier you know uh, than the projection projected uh, model and uh, and try to pick that by 2030, but by 2030, before 2030 actually, and then try to use another less than 30 years to completely neutralize this uh, more yeah. than 10 billion tons of carbon dioxide. Well, the country is still growing and uh, you know uh, still going through this industrialization and massive urbanization. So it, it was uh, it was not easy, and um, um, it was not easy. Yeah. And and by the way, the trends you're talking about in terms of disappearing lakes and extreme heat waves are ones that are being experienced all over the world. We have uh, in the United States the Great Salt Lake out in the western United States, and and it's shrinking and disappearing. And there's similar concerns to what you're reporting. I know London had the first ever measurement of 40 degrees centigrade last summer during the same time as the heat wave in China. So these are global phenomena that are appearing um, in, in China and elsewhere. Um, uh, we don't have much time. Um, so I think this is our, our last question. Um, we, um, you've, I wonder if you have advice for, for young people around the world, in China or around the world, um, 
you've you've charted a career that's just made such a big difference in environmental issues. Um, and I know that there's people watching who are wondering, uh, they're wondering first, how can I help you? Uh, but also, how can I have an impact too? And, and how can I make a difference? And I just wonder if you have any thoughts for, for particularly in a, any of uh, younger people who may be watching on that score. I appreciate this question. And I uh, uh, really um, believe that the future belongs to the, to the young people and, uh, uh, and, and, and the whole climate uh, impact, you know, matters more to them. And, uh, um, and all these years, uh, we have been very much uh, lucky, you know, to have uh, uh, young talents uh, to pay attention and uh, some of them uh, join us, some of them help us, and uh, uh, we have many interns who helped us, uh, you know, uh, all these years, and, uh, um, and and I appreciate that, um, and, uh, and I, I do believe that uh, um, the, you know, if we want to overcome this issue we need uh we need participation from uh from as much people as many people as possible and uh, uh if we can i trust that the, the power of information uh if people got informed just like in china you know when they understand the impact the health impact of uh, of the air pollution you know people make their voice heard millions upon millions you know on social media and eventually uh the government responded that with our uh clean air action plan and clean water action plan and on the on the climate side i hope the uh, people particularly the young people also can make their voice heard make uh, and uh, and also trying to you know make sure that uh, uh that they can uh, hope uh, to create uh, more knowledge uh, and uh, more information on this. I I believe that we need, uh, you know, just like uh, when we try to tackle the air pollution and water pollution, we need data infrastructure on the climate side. So recent years we got more. We got it, what what got us busy is the creation uh, development of the blue map of zero carbon. You know, we're trying to uh copy the the su success follow the success uh success on the on the local uh, uh environmental uh uh environment quality improvement side and uh develop that uh, not just uh you know global country by country map but also drill it down to the provinces across in china you know the first three provinces that put together the emission is larger than that of the EU. And then the first six is over the, the total volume of the US. So we mm. need to drill it down to the province and then city by city, and then sector by sector, eventually facility by facility. In China, you know, probably in this part of the world, uh, you don't see many smokestacks and factories, but. Uh, but it doesn't mean that all this massive manufacturing was has disappeared. Mm. It's just been migrated to our parts and now being relocated, the supply chain being relocated in surrounding regions uh, in the global south. So we need to keep that in mind. And uh, in China, 68% of our um, carbon emission is related uh, to industrial production, manufacturing. 
So with that, um, we need to understand eventually, you know, all these products we consume, uh, you know, they all got embedded carbon in that. And uh, yeah. if we pay attention, if we can, you know, ask this question, have all these brands, you know, who can make their commitment from Paris to Glasgow to Shanghai on, on net zero carbon emission, have they really translated their words into actions, particularly in the global south, particularly through their massive supply chain? Scope three, the supply chain part, have quite often been the largest uh, uh, chunk of their carbon footprint. But our experience, still many of them have not done that. So we've just launched a, a uh, zero carbon supply chain initiative. Mm. I hope not just the brands and financial institutions and agencies in charge pay attention. I also hope the citizens can pay attention. You know, we're trying to develop our, expand our roadmap function by allowing, develop, uh, you know, emission factors database. And based on that, allowing people to take a picture of all these uh, different consumer products and, uh, and then figure out the embedded carbon you know, through the AI technology, figure out the embedded carbon based on uh, about that, on that. I hope that uh, the young people can raise, you know, not just have gained their own awareness, but raise questions to those who have the power and resources and made open commitment to really hold them accountable, create a global accountability mechanism together and I do think that uh, through this process, we can hasten, we can hasten the process of decarbonization and we can uh, eventually better safeguard our planet. Those are great words to close on, Majun. Thank you so much for your tremendous contributions and work. Great to see you. Thank you, David. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, everyone. The second segment of this podcast is an interview with Soji, president of Energy Foundation China, conducted by David Sandalow. I am thrilled to be here with Zhou Ji, who is president of Energy Foundation China, uh, distinguished leader in China on energy issues, on climate change issues. He was part of the uh, Chinese delegation at the Paris Climate Conference in 2015 and played a very important role there and has held many distinguished positions uh, in this area. Uh, Zhou Ji, welcome to New York. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Demi. And, uh, could you just give us an update about what's happening on climate change and energy issues in China? What's what's most important right now? Um, as you know, uh, within China, uh, we have worked for climate and energy transition uh, with nonstop uh, pace. And in the past years, uh, uh, Chinese government just launched the one plus N policy that that um uh provide for um, a policy framework for climate issues i mean with one overarching uh framework to show uh the goal the targets and the, the guiding principles uh, and also the key area prioritized area and uh, uh, together with that overarching uh framework uh we have uh we call it n policy that means uh, sector by sector, uh, themes by themes, uh, changing from uh, energy, 
manufacture, uh, transport, industry, uh, building, etc., etc., uh, and also education. I mean, uh, to support the transition to carbon neutrality uh, over several decades. That's something from uh, uh, from policy perspective. And but if you look at uh, the real performance of the real economy, especially for energy, I think it has been very exciting. Especially if you look at the, the development of renewable, I mean solar and wind. Mm. Um, so in the past years, in at least in the past three years, uh, each year we increase uh, the capacity of the renewable. I mean. Uh, solar and the wind weigh a uh, hundred over a hundred and twenty uh, gigawatts mm. each year, and that said, if we maintain that pace, and even we enlarge that pace, uh, uh, it will be more and more promising uh, for China to reach much higher capacity compared to its NDC targets. So it, so my dream is to make that double uh, compared to our uh, NDC targets. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, two or three years ago, I couldn't imagine that. Mm -hmm. But after the real uh, progress in market, in technology, in the cost of uh, renewable generation, and also in energy storage, in grid uh, development, uh, connectivity, in, uh, long distance, uh, super high voltage, uh, uh, directed current uh, grid. Uh, I think all now we should uh, adjust our imagination. Uh, and besides, I would also mention about energy efficiency. So you you might recall uh, over ten or fifteen years ago, uh, we had a, a high tide for uh, efficiency improvement uh, at that time, uh, but uh, now I think China is stepping into another new era for efficiency improvement, which are very very important for energy uh, neutrality uh, for for uh, carbon neutrality. Mm. Uh, but uh, this time, the real driver and uh, it would be digitalization of the economy, in especially for industry for manufacture. Uh, so when uh, full digitalization in those uh, sectors such as industrial, chemical, cement, etc., etc., we can reach. Uh, let me say uh, 10 to 40% of improvement of energy efficiency. Uh, normally, this will fade down or fade out uh, coal yield in those uh, manufacturer sectors and will contribute significantly to uh, carbon reduction. So those are something I have observed in my country. There's so much to talk about. One particular topic I was wondering about as you were speaking is offshore wind in China, because so much of the Chinese population lives right along the coast. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's potential for the growth of offshore wind in China? How's that going? Very, very huge potential, I would oh. say. So let me tell you a 
very direct story that I experienced in the past two or three years. Uh, I remember when Lord Nicholas Stern told me, "Oh, UK, they reached the uh, uh, I mean normal price of offshore uh, wind power uh, based on their power sector reform." And I felt very curious about that. I said, "Oh, let's organize the dialogue between China and the UK experts, and then we organize that in.、Uh, it should be in 2020, and we heard a lot from UK colleagues there. And、uh, when you're after, I said, 'Oh, let's organize another uh, dialogue.' Uh, and suddenly, I found that、uh, the total capacity of offshore wind power、uh, in China." Become the top one in the world,、huh. and、uh, furthermore, with several、uh, field trips, I also saw very very、uh, rapid change of the cost, and also mainly because of the 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 scale of economy. I mean, the size become become higher and higher,、uh, especially invited by several leading、uh, leading provinces like.、Um, Uh, I mean, we have a top one, top two、uh, of GDP provinces like Guangdong Province,、mm. Jiangsu Province, and Shandong Province,、uh, together with Zhejiang and Fujian and all those、uh, relatively richer、uh, provinces. They、uh, started the invest capital investment in offshore, and uh, furthermore, uh, some of the provinces I I heard, for example. Jiangsu Province and also Guangdong Province, they are considering to use offshore wind power to produce、uh, green hydrogen with sea water. But certainly, for the moment,、uh, they are、uh, now in the early stage to have a demo project or pilot project、uh, there. But I I believe if the offshore wind power become the cheaper and the cheaper. And the richer and the richer,、uh, these、uh, is very likely become true、uh, for hydrogen、uh, production.、Uh, final question: Could you just share with us your priorities at the Energy Foundation in China and, and what you're working on there? Oh yeah, in fact, as you know, Energy Foundation China, we have worked in China for、uh, about twenty four years since nineteen ninety ninety nine since nineteen ninety nine. So we are very proud. I mean, to work in China with several milestone in the history. One renewable. So in fact, we support the launch of a renewable law in 2025 directly.、Uh, and the second in、uh, energy efficiency, as I mentioned just now,、uh, about the、uh, let me say 14 to 15 years ago. We supported.、Uh, uh, I mean, just within one or two years.、Uh, I mean, a hundred、uh, to develop a hundred energy efficiency standard for China to support China's policy to、mm. improve energy efficiency. The third milestone is electric vehicle.、Mm. So、uh, I would say、uh, we supported、um, a project with Tsinghua University. Uh, and uh, this might be one of the earliest uh, project. Uh, I mean, to、uh, 
to uh, I mean to uh, incubate the idea of electric vehicle mm -hmm. in China. And today, uh, electric vehicle become the very very important driver for not only energy security, climate change, air quality, but also the economy itself. And uh, the latest uh, milestone and uh, long-term strategy, uh, we worked uh, in uh, 2018 and 19. Uh, so that's to uh, come up with the proposal for China to reach carbon neutrality by mid of the century. And after that, we 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 saw very happily. Uh, I mean, President Xi Jinping launched the China's carbon neutrality target uh, by 2060. Mm -hmm. And now uh, we concentrate more on implementation uh, of all the targets, all the policies, especially focusing on several prioritized area. Uh, number one, technology uh, technological roadmap to achieve the carbon peaking and the neutrality target. Uh, I mean, to look at uh, what's the optimized technology sector by sector, and then put them together to see what's the potential, what's the speed uh, or the pace of the process of the transition. Number two, um, uh, electrification. We believe um, uh, it will be a key for China, I mean, to uh, make deep decarbonization in power sector with higher and higher non-fossil fuel for power generation together with electrification in industry, in transport, in building. So we are working on uh, electrification that. And the third area in to consider to reshape uh, the landscape and the portfolio of the future real estate development. And the, today, real estate is a, a carbon intensive sector, but we want to make that become a, a new energy uh, uh, sector. That means that we install solar when uh, real estate, especially for those real estates around the big city and in rural area, serving for several hundred million population there to deliver clean and uh, zero emission energy to the farmers, uh, to the low income uh, group of population to, to improve their living standards. But in the meanwhile, uh, to change our energy structure and furthermore, to make those distributed uh, uh, renewable become a contribution to the stable of uh, the grid rather than uh, the, the, the turbines of the uh, grid. The technology has been there, but the, our work is to make pilot to develop a policy to support that. Finally, international cooperation. Mm. And especially uh, uh, given the current very challenging uh, geopolitical uh, circumstances, especially between China and the US, we believe, uh, I mean, without the cooperation between China and the US, 
between the business, uh, the, the academia, and the government uh, uh, of the two countries, there will be no way out uh, to save the clim global climate. And we do need that kind of cooperation. But uh, we want to make something helpful to support uh, track two, dialogue and the cooperation. I mean, to support dialogue and the cooperation between academia and academia, business and the business, and the academia uh, and the business. So this is our priority. Well, Professor Zhou, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all your leadership on these issues over many years and delighted to see you here in New York at the offices of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations. Thank you. So I'm here, I'm just uh, looking forward to uh, further cooperation uh, between China and the U.S., university, company, and even families. Thank okay. you. If you enjoyed these discussions, make sure to listen to our Earth Day special, Where Do the U.S. and China Stand on the Climate Crisis, on NCUSCR interviews wherever you get your podcasts.